0: Passage given to us is the book of Hebrews. As we are continuing, Jesus is, and today I'm going to talk about Jesus is our advocate, or I would say rather, a priest. Jesus is an advocate and priest. So I remember when I was uh, writing my uh, PhD thesis, which is, which for me is a long process, really, really long process, especially, you know, because back home. I didn't used to write much. The mode of sort of examination was, you know, much, much of an examination. You just sit and you pass, and then that's how you do it. So, and I, I found it really, really difficult to write this thesis. It was a long, long, winding process, and it took me three long years to write it. And I used to keep writing, writing. And I remember, uh, I, I write, wrote all the chapters, and I sent it to my uh, professor. He edited it, and everything's fine. And said, and he comes to me and says, "Yeah, that's that's great work." He said. I said, I'm finally relieved that it's, it's finished. He said, hang on, hang on. There's still the most critical part that you need to write. I said, what? Are you joking? I wrote seven chapters, and you're saying to me there's still a critical part to write, I've, and I've lost my hair writing all these things. <laughs> and you're telling me there's, there's still a critical part to write in this. I said, yes, you need to write an abstract. You need to write an abstract. He said, if your abstract is not compelling enough, it is not good enough. It should tell you the gist of all the, I don't know, 300 pages, 400 pages, whatever it is. If it doesn't tell the gist of it, anyone who reads that should be able to tell what exactly research is. I said, okay, okay. So it took me a while to write that as well. So the abstract is very, very, very important, especially in, in if you take a research paper or, what, or a thesis or whatever it, be, it may be. For me... the book of Hebrews is like that. It's like an abstract. For me, it's like that. It's like a a closing argument in a court of law. It's like it it gives you the the, the entire summary of the Bible per se. That's what I realized from the book of Hebrews. And I really encourage, you know, if people want to sort of understand, uh, you know, the Bible as such, uh, you know, and I would really encourage to read the book of Hebrews. It's really, really rich in, in that sense. So as I started out, so the The chapter we're dealing with today is chapter 7, and precisely we're looking at verses 18 to 27. So I'd like to call Dan, who would uh, please read for me uh, chapter 7, verse 18 to 27.
1: Yep, so it's Hebrews 7, uh, 18 to 27. So, the former regulation is set aside because it was was weak and useless. for The law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. And now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself.
0: Thank you, Dan. So, as I said, today we're going to look at chapter 7, verse uh, 18 to 27. But I was just telling to Mike in the beginning that this Hebrews is so interconnected that you can't take like verses in isolation and start preaching about it. They're so interconnected with each other because these, these are letters in that sense, so there's no order to it. So I'm going to spend some time in, in sort of uh, you know, telling about the, the earlier verses as well in chapter 7 and then move to verse 18 to 27. I'll take some time to sort of put a context as to what, what's really happening there. So chapter 7 starts with a man called as Melchizedek, Who was he, actually? I mean, it's really, really important to set the tone as to why he is there and why Jesus is compared eventually with him. So we are actually introduced with this man called Melchizedek in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, verse 18 to 20. I'm going to read that for you. Uh, Book of Genesis, chapter 14, verse 18 to 20. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, bought out bread and wine. Bread and wine. Does it ring a bell? Yes, it does. He was the priest for God, Most High, and blessed Abraham, saying, Abraham, you, may you be blessed by God, Most High, the God who made heaven and earth. And we praise God, Most High, who has helped you to defeat your enemies. So this was the first time when this king, Melchizedek, was introduced to us. He's, he's the king of Salem, uh, the the original name for Jerusalem, and the priest of God most high. If when you think about priest as such, in the the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, there was only one kind of priest that is mentioned in the book of Leviticus. It's called the Levitical priesthood, as you can call it. So just to go back in the history of that kind of priest, who's the Levitical priest, so when Israel conquered the promised land and they finally entered Canaan, All the tribes of Israel, or Jacob, they were given a piece of land. This is a piece of land, why don't you do whatever you do with the land? But there was only one tribe who were not given a piece of land, and that tribe is the the tribe of Levi. God said to them, I will not give you a piece of land. The way that you will sustain yourself is to you will be a pastor or you will take care of the temple or the logistics of the temple. And the people around you will give their one tenth of resources to you as a salary, as an income. And that will be your mode of sustenance. So Levi, I'm not going to give you a land, but people will give you a one-tenth of salary, what people called as tithe now. And that's how you will sustain yourself. So that was the law given to God, that people have to give a one-tenth of whatever resources they have to the Levites. And now, here we are introduced to another priest called as Melchizedek, who lived much more before than Levi and Aaron, who the, who's the first priest as such. But the Hebrew author, he's he's, he's making a point that the Melchizedek priestly order is greater than the Old Covenant priestly order or the Levitical priestly order. And he gives you a very three quick points as to uh, three main important reasons as to why this, this priest called as Melchizedek is far more better than Levitical priest. So, Now, as I said in the beginning, since the Levites had to work in the temple, the salary was the tenth of what people gave as an offering. And that was a law. But Melchizedek was not a Levite. He was not a Levite. As we read here in the book of Genesis, that Melchizedek was given a tenth by Abraham. Whatever he conquered. So the the context was Abraham went to war to to rescue his nephew Lot and he he looted and he took away the positions of of that people and he gave one tenth of that to Melchizedek. So it was not a law, but he was given. It was out of gratitude, it was not out of law. The Hebrew author says that because he was given one-tenth by Abraham, he has a high priestly order. And then it says. The second reason that the Hebrew author points out that why Melchizedek is a, is a, is a higher priest than Le, the Levitical priesthood, he says that is that the Melchizedek priesthood was superior because it was eternal. Because it was eternal. You know, in ancient Israel, the tithes were received by the priests who were, who were mortal. They would die someday, but Melchizedek, by person, was immortal. He was eternal. The priesthood was eternal. So, and in the book of Hebrews, let's read it. It's really good. I'm going to read it. Uh, It's in Hebrews chapter 7, and it's in the first few verses. It says, No one knows who Melchizedek's father or mother was, where he came from, when he was born, or when he died. Melchizedek is like the son of God. He continues being a priest forever. He's like Jesus Christ. He is like Jesus Christ. So Christ is given the order of Melchizedek in terms of the priesthood. He is like Jesus and if you look at it, why he's superior? Because in effect, the Levites are actually giving a one tenth to Melchizedek because Abraham is the Levites are not, who are not nothing but they are the great grandson of Abraham. So Abraham gave his one tenth. So in effect, it's the amazing reversal. You see, the Levites were actually giving a one tenth to Melchizedek. So in that way, he's superior as well. And finally, there's a beautiful word in Genesis. It says, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. He blessed Abraham. blessing in the Old Testament is a huge, huge, huge deal. I mean when I read this now, when people use you know when in, in, in their context i bless you it's, it's. I feel it's a it's it's like a trivial thing, but the word blessing is a huge, huge, huge massive word to even write it, forget about telling it it's 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 a massive thing and here I mean. Abraham is the most revered uh, patriarch of Israelites, that he was the first recipient of God's blessings. God blessed him. And uh, and, and a person who's blessing Abraham itself, imagine how high he might be. So basically, a superior man blesses an inferior person. That's how it is, right? A one who's in a superior state blesses the one who's in an inferior state. And that's why Melchizedek priesthood is far more better or it's of a higher order than the Levitical priesthood. In India, back home, it's 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 a it's it's a what do you call? It's it's a common practice that the elders bless the younger generations, and the way they do it is 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 by touching their feet. It's touching their feet. They they touch the feet of the older generations, and they and the older people are older in in age or stature or whoever it may be. They bless them. It's a huge deal. Like you've seen there, like the, the like the person who's uh, t- uh, touching the feet of that woman is 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 a huge movie star in India, Amida Bachchan, and he's he's actually he's actually being blessed by a woman who's a philanthropist. He's a huge philanthropist, and by the way, she's the mother-in-law of uh, Chancellor Rishi Sunak. So. You see, and, and, and Sachin Teller, who's one of the greatest cricketer, and he's actually bending down and touching his, his, his master, who's, who taught him cricket. So the master blesses him. So it's actually the, the superior who blesses the inferior. And it's, as, I, as I said at the beginning, blessing is a huge, especially in the Middle Eastern and the Indian context. Blessing is a huge, huge, huge thing. And that's why Melchizedek is at the highest order. So moving on. The Hebrew author continues to compel us as to why Melchizedek priestly order is far more better than the Levitical priesthood order. And we'll quickly jump into the verses that we've been given is from verse 18. It says, I'll jump directly to verse 18. It says, and the old rule is now set aside. The first point first point is the old rule is now set aside because it was weak and useless. It starts with that. It says the old rule is now set aside because it is weak and useless. The rules have changed. That's the first point I'm going to talk about. The rules have changed. Now the logic says that because we have a new priesthood called as uh, who's on the order of Melchizedek called Jesus so if there's a new priesthood, there should be a new law as well. That's the logic, right? If there's a new priesthood, there should be a new, lo- new law as well. So what is, a lot of people ask me, what is God's ultimate goal for me? God's ultimate goal for me is to establish an eternal relationship between himself and his people. That's God's ultimate goal. He wants to establish a relationship with me For now until eternity. That's God's ultimate, ultimate goal. So the verse 18, it starts with very thing. It says the rules have changed. Like it's the old rule is is weak and useless. Does that mean that the old rule was ineffective? No, it's not. But it was intended to foreshadow something which was better. It is giving light to something which is better. Like, like in football, you have this VAR technology, or in the cricket, we have this DRS system, decision review system. These are new technologies. Like before these technologies, would, were they not fair games? Yes, there were, but there was a better technology which will, which will make the game fair and square. So the rules have changed now. People started using technology in sports so that the, the game is much more fair in, in, in that sense. The Levitical priesthood or the old priesthood were depending on shedding the blood of animals to take away that sins. If you, if you want to read it in depth, go to Leviticus chapter 16, if I'm not wrong, where, they, where the priests are given a list of instructions as to how you will intercede for people on behalf of their sins. You need to shed the blood of animals. That's how they depended on that. But that act, could never make a person perfect in the eyes of God. Shedding the blood of animals by these old priesthood, old priests would never ever make me perfect in the sight of God. But the Hebrew author says, but now we have a better hope than the Levitical priesthood. We are trusting in Jesus who allows us to really draw to God something the old priesthood, didn't allow us to do it. We have a better hope, a better hope. The entire book of Hebrews is, is based on these things. It's, a, it's about a better hope, better promises, better sacrifices, and a better country, which is heaven. It all talks about something better is there. Something better is there rather than the old, useless, and the weak law. Fair enough, Vishal, you're saying that the, uh, you, know, you have a new priesthood, and that's why you have a new law. Fair enough, you're saying that. What is the guarantee that tomorrow there will be not new, any new priesthood and a new law? Can you guarantee me that? Fair enough, you're saying that, okay, there is a new priesthood, there is a new law. In the same sense, it transitioned from the old to the new, but tomorrow will there be not any more new law, a new priesthood. That's exactly my second point. Jesus' priesthood is certain. Jesus' priesthood is certain and he intercedes forever. The Hebrew author wants to assure that from the book of Psalms 110, uh, 110, verse 4. It says, Psalms 110, 4. The Lord has sworn, the Lord has promised and will not change his mind. You are priest forever, a priest like Melchizedek. The Lord is, the God is promising, you are the ultimate hope. You are the ultimate hope. There is no one who's going to come after you. You are a priest forever and ever and ever. And, you know, it makes like, when you think about that, Jesus is a better guarantor, right? Like, imagine if you take Jesus to a, in a, to a bank to be your guarantor, that would be great, Right? <laughs> I mean, you would die, but the guarantor would never die. He's like a better guarantor for me rather than anyone else. God never made a promise to Aaron like that. In the Old Testament, God never made a promise to like that. He never said to Aaron, you're, 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 the, you're the highest Levitical priest and you're going to last forever and ever and ever. But God promised about Jesus Christ, you're the priest forever, forever. Jesus' priesthood is certain and he intercedes forever, forever. What is intercession? You know, uh, before that, you know, as I said, he is certain. Like the VAR technology or the decision review system, DRS, may change in the future. There might be some better technology which will will assist, you know, to have a better game. But tomorrow or day after tomorrow or any time, we will not have a better hope than Jesus Christ's priesthood. And the second point, and, and, and the uh, second part of that is he intercedes forever. Intercession. Every priest is temporary, right? The Levitical priests were temporary. They were, they were not immortal. They were mortal. He, they used to be there for a little while, and then you know, somebody else will take their office. And as I, said, as I said in the beginning, what was the main role of the priest was he was supposed to intercede on behalf of you. He was supposed to ask for forgiveness for your sins. But this priest will die. Someday he will die. I mean, if the person you're relying on to intercede for you will die, that means the effectiveness of that intercession is uncertain, right? He will die someday. So the he is intercessing, intercessing for you. So in that way, it's not really effective as such because someday he will die. He's, a, he's not an immortal guy. Philip Hughes, he says, we could not hope to draw near eternally to eternal God through a dead priest. Let me say that again. We could not hope to draw near eternally to eternal God through a dead priest. We cannot draw towards God through someone who will die eventually one day. In Jesus, we have a priest who provides us that salvation perpetually, completely, Jesus Christ intercedes for us meaningfully. Unlike the angels, he had the first-hand experience of the trials that we face through. And that's why in Hebrew there's a beautiful word about Jesus Christ. He is a forerunner who ran before us. I love that word, forerunner. Because he he came as a human being and he knows the, the trials that we face through. And he intercedes day in and day out because he is eternal. He has won the victory over death. That's why he's eternal. So I'd rather believe in him who will intercede for me day in and day out rather than the one who will die one day eventually. During his early ministry, Jesus prayed for his friends. He interceded for our friends. And a and lot of times intercession is a very, very good thing. Prayers are nothing but intercession. When somebody says the least I can do is to pray, that's not the least thing. That's the greatest thing one can do for you. I remember using that word and I said to people, the least I can do is to pray for you. But when I think in retrospect, it's actually the greatest thing that you and I can do for someone is actually you're interceding for them, not as effective as Jesus might be, but you are doing your part. You're praying for them. That's actually a great privilege and that's actually a great job to pray for someone. It's not easy. When, when people say, would you please pray for me, it's not, it's not trivial as people think. Oh, there is just prayer. It's not really prayer. You're interceding for them. That's very, very important. And the final thing that I'm going to talk about is Jesus. Fair enough, now that you say that, okay, uh, the law has changed, the priest has changed, now that you're certain, will there be no one else tomorrow? I mean, why is Jesus the permanent priest, the third point? Why is Jesus the permanent perfect priest let me use that word why is Jesus the perfect permanent priest why only Jesus has to die a lot of people question me that unlike any priest in history Jesus is sinless the word says in the, in the in the last verse 26 Jesus is the kind of high priest we need he is holy sinless pure not influenced by sinners and is raised above the heavens. But why does it matter? Why does it matter? In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the, 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 the priest had to sacrifice animals repeatedly, day in and day out, for himself and for other people. There was a repeated sacrifice. The priest himself was, was not perfect. He had his own Challenges, he had his own challenges. It's like, if you you think, it's like if I trust a priest who who had his own challenges, it's like a blind leading a blind in that sense. But Jesus had to offer the best sacrifice that he had to offer himself, that no priest could ever do that. And we've seen the adjectives, what, we, what the Hebrew writer says, he's, he's he's holy, he's sinless, he's pure, he's not influenced by sinners at all. He offered himself. He offered himself rather than the repeated sacrifices of animals. There are still places in India that animal sacrifices happen a lot. Why? People ask me. Why? Why? Because they want to have that that boksha, which is which is nothing but the... Breaking that cycle of rebirth. How would I do that? Sacrificing animals to appease gods. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. And the Old Covenant, the priest had to choose a perfect animal, a perfect animal which had no spot, no blemish. If you look at, if you look, that was the main key. What do you call uh, attribute that God has given? us said. It has to be spotless. It had; it should not have a blemish. When you sacrifice me, it has to be perfect. And Jesus was perfect. You and I, when we sacrifice to God, we have to give the best. I remember uh, back home in India, this this church I used to go. It was a massive, like four thousand people used to come on a Sunday morning. And uh, after after few uh, after few uh, weeks, the pastor announced from the from the from the, from the pulpit that he said. Uh, it's, it's a humble request to everyone coming to the church that uh, we have seen people actually, when, when we offer to the Lord uh, the money the, uh, you know, the, we give every Sunday, uh, he said, Even if you don't want to give money to, it's fine, but do not put money which is, which is the currency which is torn, which is ripped because it's useless. Seen, He's seen a lot of money in, the, in that money bag which the currency was torn, was ripped, and it was useless. He said, "Even if you don't give it, it doesn't matter, but do not give to the Lord which is useless. Do not give to the Lord which, is not, you know, which, which, which doesn't have any worth. It's fine. but give to the Lord which is the best. Give to the Lord which is best." And uh, I remember pastor saying, "Give Lord the best and leave the rest. Give God the best." And that's why Jesus had to be the best, best sacrifice. I think I'm done now. Maybe I'll call Hannah to please come forward and then uh, lead us into worship. I'll just close with these things. You know, as the Hebrew writer points out that it's all about this old law, which was weak and useless. And we are given this, this brand new priesthood and a brand new law. And he is the better hope. And there's no hope greater than him. He's a divine oath given by God. There will be no priest forever after him. His priest is, very, is, is certain it's going to continue to last forever. And he intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. That's a massive, massive thing. Day in and day out. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our trials. He will intercede for us. And I'm sure about it. We're broken. We're sinful people separated from God. And no ordinary priest or no earthly system or no animal sacrifice can bridge that gap. Right? Sin has distance us from God. And that gap can be only bridged by someone who was, blame, who was blameless, who was, was perfect, and that was Jesus Christ. What we need is, is a perfect son of God, and we have it. And I would really encourage you today is that, when, I, when I re, honestly, when I read this, to be honest, it, it, it made a lot of sense to me. It made a lot of sense to me why the old law has to be abolished, why the new law has come into, into effect. That's exactly how it is. The new is what we have to embrace, and the new is nothing but Jesus Christ. We have to embrace him, we have to come closer to him. That's the only way. Like, there were more than 100 laws in the old Levitical things, and people, I mean, it's impossible, right? More than 100 laws. Somebody said, I mean, I remember Pastor one told, he said, in God's kingdom, the passing mark is not 40%. 40% it's not even 99.95%, it's 100%. And that 100% is only Jesus Christ. You can never, you and I can never, ever, you know, take all those laws and be perfect in God's sight. It can be, never be happened. So let's embrace Jesus Christ. He is our advocate and he is a high priest. Amen.